Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm so excited to, to be here with you this morning. Today is actually a really special day. Uh, for us, if you're hanging out with us, because today is uh, Pastor Cody's birthday. So let's give him a happy birthday this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, just to let him know how much we appreciate him, we've got a really short tribute video this morning. Would you roll that beautiful bean footage? A round of applause for the, the, the set, the symbolism that she brought with her this morning. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, like, fancy sort of restaurants before or not, if you've ever went out to, to one of those kind of places, but it's the kind of place that usually has the right kind of combination of stuff, you know? It's got, it's got the music, it's got the art, it's got the, the spacing there, and all of those things together, it kind of uh, comes and culminates into this just amazing atmosphere, you know? Has, has anybody ever been to a restaurant like that? Tell your neighbor if you've been to one. Tell them the name of the restaurant, actually, if you've... Did someone say Texas Roadhouse? Uh, well, it's not, it's not the kind of place that you wear your Crocs to, but uh, th this kind of restaurant, it, it's got fine whining and, and dining, and there's this real, there's this ambience there to it, and they, they serve you usually a full course kind of meal. Sometimes it starts out with a, a, a soup and cracker course. Sometimes it starts out with a, a salad course, uh, but in a four-course meal, there's, you know, there's hors d'oeuvres that come out, then there's the, an appetizer and a main dish, and then there's usually some kind of delicious dessert, right? Uh, and I learned back, I don't know if you learned this in middle school, Cody, but I learned back in middle school that dessert was spelled with two S's and not one like desert, because, and they told me because you want twice as much dessert as you do desert, so that's just free for you this morning, but uh, that's what the book of Jonah really is. It's this full course meal that we're going to eat together, and it follows this storyline of a prophet named Jonah through four big meals, four big scenes, four sets of characters that he's going to meet along his journey, and those scenes look like this. Uh, number one is the sea, it's Jonah and the sailors. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Number 2 is a, a psalm of deliverance. It's Jonah and the fish, which is chapter 1, 7 verse, through chapter 2, verse uh, 10. Then number 3 is inside of Nineveh. This is Jonah and uh, the Ninevites, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And then number 4 is outside of Nineveh uh, with Jonah and God, chapters 4, 1 through Eleven, And so this story in Jonah, with all of its twists and, and all of its turns that are in it, really shows us how God leads this prophet named Jonah, sometimes by the hand, sometimes by the scruff of his neck, in order to show that he's the God who is sovereign over all things. And, and even though Jonah, you know, along this course, he, he runs away a lot. And he makes some mistakes, and he, and he kind of has a bad attitude along the way. And, and there's a lot of different strategies that he uses, in fact, to try to escape the Lord. But what we see is that actually the Lord Jesus and his sovereignty, he's five steps ahead of Jonah the whole time. And so 
what we're going to do together in this series is we're going to take some, some bite-sized, a, a snack-sized, a fun-sized approach to the book of Jonah. And so we're going to break it down even more than those four meals. We're going to break it down into some fun-sized portions. Because if we preach this uh, book in four sermons and four meals together, look, we would be here literally all night long every Sunday. Yeah, Cody is the only one who has amen that. Uh, Right, we'd have to. We need more dishes, and then we need more soap for the dishes, and more dinner. You need a sleeping bag, some coffee. So we just don't have the funds for that. But um, we're gonna break this down a lot more than just those four meals, and it's gonna carry us through the end of December together. And so what we've done, what we decided to do as a pastor team is that alongside of the sermons, what we're gonna do is on our website, on our blog, we're gonna launch. Um, uh, what's going to be called Jonah's Leftovers, and uh, this will be a resource for you. Yeah, that's our Deacon Ted Smith riding a big fish, not a whale. Uh, is, Ted, is Ted still in here right now? Okay, okay, hey, okay, all right, hey, yeah, 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 we love Ted, uh, he, he's a great guy, and uh, this is him riding a fish. So uh, we're going we're gonna to put in there, though, anything we may forget or that you may miss or that we come back and, and wanted to add a little bit more to, but didn't want to keep you here all day, And so what this is going to be really is, is if you want to dig deeper into the text by yourself, or maybe you have a rest group that you're a part of and you guys talk about the text from Sunday, then this is going to be for you to walk through uh, either together or on your own, just a resource. And so keep your eye out, keep your fork up. Uh, Jonah's Leftovers will be coming to you and we'll send an email out and uh, put it on our social so you can follow along together. So before we actually dig into our, our text this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I want to set the table, so to speak, for us with Jonah, with the, some of the background and some of the setting that's going to help us understand this book together as a, as a church. And it's because this book of Jonah really is unlike any other book that we've tried to exposit before as a church. So we can't approach Jonah the same way that we've approached James or, or the Gospel of Mark or Timothy because Jonah itself, it might be the most confusing literary book that we've ever walked through together as a, as a church. And at first glance, when you, when you just read through you know, the four chapters of Jonah and you, and you, and you kind of overview it, what you see is this, you, know, you, you kind of see this flawed hero that shows up and, and you feel like he's a good guy that just got put into a bad spot. And then you see these bad guys who are in there. One set is a group of, uh, of, of pagans that toss him into the sea. Another set of the bad guys are some Ninevites. Uh, that he's called to, to go to, and they're just historically evil. And then Jonah, he refuses God's call on his life. He gets tossed overboard. He gets, uh, he gets Ubered by uh, a fish. And the storyline, it's like, it's amazing, right? But, and, it, and it's so simple, though, that even like a little kid can understand. My, uh, my son Jackson, this is one of his favorite stories, by the way. Uh, if you ask him, I asked him the other day, I told him, I said, just retell me the story of Jonah. And like he recapped the whole thing front end to back in like six minutes. So, so it's so simple that even a, a, a little kid can understand it. But, 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 but that story I just shared with you isn't the real story of the book of Jonah. Because this book, it's not about a big fish, but it's about a big God that relentlessly pursues this pouting prophet and his people for, for his glory and our good. That, that's, what, that's what Jonah's really about when you break it down. And, you know, I mentioned even a little kid can follow this storyline because it is so, you know, simplistic. But also inside of the pages of Jonah, what we're going to find as you read is really this master's level of sophisticated writing. And in it, what we see... Uh, from the writer, we actually don't know who the writer of Jonah is, but what we see from them, they use all of these different styles. In, in these four chapters, we see hyperbole and humor. We see double entendres. We see uh, merism. We see rhetoric. It's all scattered throughout the four chapters of Jonah. And one of the reasons that I personally enjoy the story of Jonah so much is because there's not a general consensus among scholars, even of what genre to place the book into, because it's got so many elements and layers to it, but here's a setting um, uh, of Jonah. This book in your Bible, it's part of this collection of other writings called the Prophets. Say the Prophets. 
the prophets, and, and Jonah fits with the prophets because our main character that we meet is, is Jonah, and he's a prophet of God who was assigned to the northern, not southern, the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is an important detail for me to point out as we, is at the onset of this because the Bible, what it's doing is it tells us that Jonah's the prophet. is placing Jonah as a real person in a real historical timeline. And so that means for us that Jonah the person, he's a real guy that really lived. And so this story is not like a lateral parable of like the boy who cried wolf or, or, or something like that with animal personification. This, is, this isn't just some, you know, fable that's, that's meant for the, you know, the flannel graph at Sunday school. But this is a real flesh and blood guy who was a real flesh and blood prophet who God called. He was a man of God. And God called him to do this really, really unique thing. And, and we'll talk about that just in a few minutes uh, as we get into our text. But this book uh, is unlike any other book because in this book, it's not a focus on the words of a prophet as the other prophetic books are, but it's a focus on the prophet himself. In a biblical prophet, what this person was, this was someone who just had a radical encounter with the presence of God, who's seen God uh, face to face. And then what would happen is the prophet would be commissioned by God, for God, to go and speak to the people on God's behalf. That was the job of the prophet. And so the prophets in the scriptures, what they're mainly concerned with is they're mainly concerned with the partnership between God and God's people. And, and kind of the backstory to that a little bit is that God had saved Israel, his people, from slavery in Egypt. And he'd invited them to become a nation that was marked by justice and, and generosity and mercy so that all of the other surrounding nations looking into Israel could see the character of who God was. And, and, and this partnership that was given to Israel um, was, was part of their side of the partnership was that they had to dedicate all of their worship to God and to God alone. And in the scriptures, that partnership's called the covenant. Say covenant. And so this covenant partnership, uh, long story on that, sure, is that Israel's leaders, the priests, the kings, they would lead Israel, the people, away from that partnered covenant and violate that covenant cyclically. They would do it over and over and over again. And so this is where the prophets came in at. They came in to call God's people back to God to remind them of their role in this partnered covenant. And so in your Bible, as you, you may look through back in the Old Testament, there are, there are 15, say 15, 15 books of the prophets. There's three really big ones with uh, Isaiah, or, or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. And then there are 12 smaller ones. The book of Jonah is part of this smaller group of the, of the 12. And so that is some background. That is some context of, of a little bit of who Jonah is, of what Jonah is set in. But here's what I need from you this morning as we, as we work through this tech together. Here, here's what I need from you. I, 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 need, it, um, I need you to, to listen. Say critical. Critical. It is critical this morning that you and I, whenever we're looking at the book of Jonah, that we set aside our modern assumptions, that we set them aside and work through the book of Jonah with ancient eyeballs. Say ancient eyeballs. We need ancient eyeballs this morning because see the, the book of Jonah and the Bible for that matter, it's not a Western book. It's not written to a, a Western people like, like us. And, and so it was written by and for and about a people in the Mediterranean. And, and, and so their world is drastically different than, than our world today. Uh, Politically, legally, culturally, economically, there are some major difference between us and, and the people that we're, we're reading about. So we have to take that into account. We have to take into account the different writing styles that are, that are given there. And so it's critical. Say critical. It's critical that we look at what the text actually says and what the text doesn't say. And we don't read into it something we wish it would have said or what we want it to say, but just let it say what it says this morning. And so don't overlook this book with me this morning. Don't overlook it. I, I found sometimes in my life, and maybe you could say the same, is that God, he shows up in these really obscure places in my life. 
And, and whenever you look in the, in, in the scriptures, it's like there, there are, there's divine mystery and it's sh- shrouded in these little nooks of, of God's word. And so that's what we're looking for this morning. So don't abandon Jonah's boat just yet. If you have your Bible, go with me to Jonah. We're going to read chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3 together. So if you have your phone, you can pull that out or, or your physical Bible. This is week 1. Uh, sovereign to sin. This is Jonah the prophet. And uh, as Ted Smith likes, likes to say, the best way to eat a well is what, Ted? One bite at a time. And so that's what we're going to do as we digest this book together, um, as we dig in. So do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Yes. This is Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. And go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So, so next week, Jonah, he's going to board this boat to the sea. And as I was looking at this text this morning, I seen three C's that we're going to really sit down around. We're going to sit down around, number one, we're going to look at Jonah's call. Then number two, we're going to look at Jonah's course. And then lastly, we'll wrap this up looking at Jonah's cost together. So it's the call, it's the course, it's the cost. And the main truth we're going to carry with us this morning is, is this, that we have to learn to run to God and, and not from God. So it's no mistake that you're here today. Um, just there's no mistake on Jonah's journey. Let's pray together and then we'll work through this together. Jesus, we love you and uh, God, we thank you for loving us and, and all of the amazing things that you do in our lives, Jesus. We pray that you would help us to know you more, God, as we seek your face, Holy Spirit. God, we come this morning and, 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 and we're just bones and breath. And Lord, I know from the story of dry bones, God, that bones aren't much good without breath. And so, Jesus, I've, I've got a structure and I've got a plan for this thing. But I know if you don't breathe onto this, God, that it's just dead. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would come, that you would breathe life on your words. God, that you would teach us uh, from Jonah, teach us how to run to and, and not away from you. And we rebuke Satan and demons from this place and and just ask you to do what you do, God, to make a way and to do what you do with your word. That it might change our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, starting in verse number one here, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now this is a, a pretty typical, I think we're having a little bit of computer problems this morning, so you definitely want to have your Bible out this morning, okay? I'll read that verse one more time. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, and I said this is a pretty typical start to the prophetic writings in general. We see this same sort of thing in um, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. We see it in Joel chapter 1, uh, Micah chapter 1, where uh, God is speaking to a prophet. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet. And here God is speaking to Jonah in this really unique and really powerful sort of way. And, and whenever God does speak, This helps us to understand the character of who our God is because your God, he is a relational God. Do you know that? That your God loves you, that he wants to communicate with you, he wants to talk to you. And one of the chief desires of God is to grow his relationship with you through regular communication. That's who our God is. And, and this is something we see throughout history, that God isn't in heaven apathetic or disenfranchised or fed up with you and me. No, no, no. But he pursues us relentlessly and wants to have relationship with you. And so he wants to speak to you. And, and we see this in the scriptures and, and in life, that, that, that the Lord speaks to us. He's spoken to humanity audibly like he did here in chapter 1, verse 1 to Jonah. He speaks through creation. He speaks through other people in your life. He speaks through God the Holy Spirit who may live inside of you. And this morning he's speaking to you through the vehicle of his word. Church, God loves you and he wants to have a conversation with you, So the issue for us today isn't that God's gone silent on us. It's that a lot of the times, at least in my life, I, I, I'm just not listening for his voice. 
I'm not, I'm not hearing him anymore because my, my heart's gotten hard and my, my ear has went deaf. You know, maybe it's because you're too busy or, or because you have to accomplish too many things, right? Sometimes it's you're accomplishing too many church things or good things and you miss the voice of God. And we end up missing his voice. This is an echo of Hebrews chapter 3 that says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit speaks, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And the language that our God speaks is a language of love. Which makes me think, you know, have you ever, have you ever been to maybe a concert or, or a big crowded place before? Maybe had your kids with you. I don't know what kind of parent takes your kids to a concert. That was just the first thing that popped into my mind. But, um, like, you have your kids with you, and, and, like, you could call out to them amongst the crowd, and this crazy thing happens where they actually hear you. Like, they, they recognize your voice amongst all the other people, and their, their little heads perk up, and their ears perk up, and they turn, and they're, they're looking for mom or looking for dad. Well, back in 2016, there was this group of behavioral scientists uh, that ran an experiment to try to understand the connection between mom and uh, mom's voice and their kid. And for years, uh, scientists had recognized that children would respond to their, uh, their own biological mother's voice because it was so unique among other adult females. And with the help of MRIs, we, we now understand a little bit about the circuitry of the brain and how it relates to this response. But in this study, even just the, the sheer immediacy and uh, accuracy of the kid's recognition, it, it was crazy. Listen to this. Because it was recorded that even from very short clips, less than a second long, the children could identify their own mother's voice with greater than 97% accuracy. This was a study that was done by Stanford Medicine. And, and see, the relationship between a mom and a baby, it's not, it's not just because of socialization after the baby's born. But our brains, they develop a deep connection that literally shows that your wiring, that my wiring is configured for familiarity and for intimacy with the one who gave us life. And now this isn't a, just a big shout out to mom this morning. But what I'm saying is that according to science, you have been created by the creator God to have relationship with him, to recognize his voice. And his name is Jesus. And so I just, I just wonder right out the gate, church, has the, has the word of the Lord ever come to you? Or, 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 or to zoom in on that a little bit, what's the word of the Lord been to you recently in your life as you're listening to him, as you hear his voice? Have you, have you positioned yourself as an active listener that you're eager, that you're yearning to hear what God might have to say to you? What's God requested of you to do? What has God asked for you to change in your life so that you would conform more to the image of Christ the Son? Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening for the voice of the Father this morning? We have to learn to run to God and not from him. Because what happens is that when the word of the Lord comes to us, you and me, we have a decision to make. We can either, we can either accept receive the word of the Lord or we can reject the word of the Lord. We can receive the word of God or we can reject the word of God. And here this specific word comes to Jonah directly from the lips of God. And here's what he's tasked to do, verse 2. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so this is Jonah's call. This is Jonah's call. God has spoken to Jonah, and he tells Jonah, hey, Jonah, you need to leave the promised land. You need to leave uh, my people, Israel, and go to a foreign nation called Nineveh. And he was tasked to pe preach to those people there a message of rebuke and repentance. That's the task that sat in front of the prophet Jonah. Now, you and me, when we, in our New Testament perspective, we look at that and go, sure. Like, that, may, that makes sense. That's, it's part of Acts 1-8, right? Like, uh, we've been sent into to the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Like, this is big picture part of the, the Great Commission. You and I, when we read that, we picture people in our mind like Sean and Stephanie Rathgaber, who literally sold everything that they had, and they moved to Lusaka, uh, to Africa, 
right? We, we think of missionaries that we may know who go globally and locally to preach the message of Jesus. In Africa, they went to a specific people group there to spread the message of Jesus. We understand what it means for someone to love Jesus, leave home, and take a message of the gospel uh, to a foreign nation. But in the Old Testament here is where we're at. This is pre-Acts 1-8. And so when we look at this with ancient eyeballs, Jonah, he's the only prophet out of all of the prophets. He's the only person who's asked to do something like this. And so this wasn't a customary call for God to call one of his prophets to go and preach to a pagan nation. This wasn't just a normal Tuesday for, for Jonah. And here's the deal. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And believe you me, man, that's a southern saying, isn't it? Believe you me, nobody, say nobody, nobody wants to go to Nineveh. No follower of God wants to go to Nineveh because Nineveh, it's, it's founded by this guy uh, named Nimrod. Say Nimrod. <laughs> and, uh, and just as a side note on Nimrod real quick, if you're pregnant and uh, you're looking for baby names, and like you read your Bible, and you get to the book of Genesis 10, or you get to like Micah 5, and you read Nimrod, and you think, man, that would be a really cute name. What does Nimrod mean? And then you see, you look up, he says, mighty, strong hunter, and you're like, yeah, that would be perfect, you know, uh, my little Nimrod. And like, you're just, man, well, let me deter you from that a little bit, because outside of the scriptures, we see that Nimrod, uh, he's one of the ones that was partially responsible for helping build the Tower of Babel, which was a satanic rebellion uh, against God. And so in Christian circles early on, Nimrod was called the first Antichrist. So maybe stay away from, you know, the name Nimrod if you're looking right now. But, but maybe, maybe Jonah's thinking about that. Maybe Jonah's thinking about the lineage of Nineveh. And maybe he's thinking about Nimrod in his mind. Or maybe, maybe Jonah's looking at this more practically, this call from God, and, he, and he's thinking about the city of Nineveh itself. Because uh, historically, we, we know that the city of Nineveh had these massive fortified walls surrounding it, all around it. And the historians, they tell us that the out, outer city walls, they were so large that three chariot horses could ride side by side simultaneously on the tops of the walls. And so maybe, maybe Jonah's just not, you know, imagining in his mind, he's not feeling like the whole belay, belay on, belay off thing, you know, climbing up these, these uh, tall towers, Maybe it's a practical thing for Jonah as he gets this call from God. Or maybe, maybe Jonah, maybe he's thinking about the people that lived in Nineveh. The particular people that lived inside of Nineveh because Nineveh had some bad dudes in it. Say, tell your neighbor, bad dudes in Nineveh. You got to say it like that though, bad dudes in Nineveh. They had some bad dudes in Nineveh. See, the people of Nineveh, I said they were pagans before so these weren't God's people. These were people that worshiped false gods. And, and, and beyond that, the regular people there were warriors inside of Nineveh. And they were incredibly violent. And we get a, a, a hint of this from the text where the text says, uh, For their evil has come up before me, says God. The Ninevites, uh, these were ferociously evil People, they would devastatingly crush the surrounding nations that, that lived around them. They were, they were a, a political and cultural powerhouse of that day. Like nobody was picking a fight with Nineveh. And inside of Nineveh, the political structure, they basically had Sharia law, where it was you worship our God, do what we want you to do, or we will enslave you, or we will kill you. The Ninevites were, were an ancient Assyrian people. And they were one of the cruelest and most evil empires that ever existed. In fact, the Assyrian kings, they would write down a lot often of their uh, military conquests that they went on so that others could, could read about what they had done. And as you read through some of their writings, you see where they would go in and fight. And it would be talked about where there would be bodies laying everywhere, where you had to literally step over bodies just to put your foot down. They bragged about burning entire cities to the, to the ground. And, and there was one uh, emperor, his name was uh, Shalmaneser III, and he was a king of Assyria. And he was known uh, especially for his torture techniques that he would impose. What would happen is that his armies, they would, they would, uh, they would decapitate um, the heads of their enemies sometimes. And after uh, capturing their enemies, the Assyrians would often cut off their legs and one arm 
so that as their enemy was dying, they could shake their enemy's hand and mock them as they were dying. Beyond that, what they would do sometimes is they would, they would fillet people wide open and then hang their skin up on the wall like art. Uh, at times, they would, they would make family members and loved ones carry on tall poles the heads of their decapitated family members. They would burn children alive. Like, these are, these are some bad people. This was a terrorist state. And so... Today, Nineveh is, is, is outside of modern-day uh, Mosul, Iraq. And so this is the great, 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 and so on and so forth, grandsons and granddaughters of ISIS and the Taliban. And, and I tell you this because it's easy for me and you to sit back in our, in our comfortable church chair and look at this story of Jonah and go, man, yeah, Jonah, he's a, he's a wankster, right? Like, God called him to go. He should have just went. Like, I would go. That, that, that's what we typically do with this story. Well, let, let's say that God comes to you. And he's like, hey, hope you're having a great day. By the way, by the way, I want you to go be an, a, a witness for me. Uh, in, in Iraq uh, to ISIS because I've seen them decapitating people's heads on, on video and, and you need to go in and you need to rebuke them and then preach the gospel to them, okay? What would you say? Right? Like I know some of you won't even go to the sketchier parts of Paducah, right? Let's be real. Or if you were Jewish, this would be like being sent into Nazi Germany and told to share the gospel with the German people, what would you do? At the most practical level, when you look at this from the perspective of Jonah, like the chance of success here are, is none. And the chance of death is high. And, and, and so it says Nineveh in the text was a great city. Why, why, would, why would Nineveh even listen to somebody like, like Jonah? I mean, it's laughable. Why would God make this radical call of this prophet. And look, we could, we could sit here and speculate all day about the why. Why, why, didn't, why didn't Jonah go and do what God called him to do? But I think the point of this is better for us to think about it in this terms of why we, why we don't do what God calls us to do. I think that's the point that the author is trying to get at. Why, why, don't, why don't me and you do the things that God has asked, has asked us to do? And, and I think Jonah's call here reveals to us at least two things really quickly about God and his people. Number one is this. Our call from God is often hard. Our call, your call from God is often a hard thing. Welcome to rest, right? <laughs> Follow Jesus. It's going to be tough. A lot of the time, as you walk with Jesus, God is inevitably going to ask you to do some stuff that you really, really just don't want to do. He's going to ask you to do some things that are hard to accomplish. He's going to ask you to do some things that seem impossible for you to do, by yourself at least. And, and I don't want, you, I don't want to just leave you there. You know, I don't want to just be like, hey, follow Jesus. It's really hard. Have a great rest of your day. But... I think one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons that our, our, our call from God can be so hard is because number two, our call from God, it's not just about us, but it's about other people around us. Our call from God, it can be hard because it's not just about us, it's about other people around us, right? Jonah, he sent to a really, really specific people group here in this story that God wanted to reach, and so let me ask, how many of you here are here this morning and like, you're not originally from Paducah? Just lift your hand. Okay, put your hand up. How many of you uh, lived here, left, and then are now back? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are here from Paducah? Raise your hand. Okay. So all of you, all of you have been sent here to this specific place to reach this specific city with the message of Jesus. Every single one of us, we are here for a purpose, for a people. We are here, rather, with a purpose, for a people. That God has, has sent us, and, and, I, and I'm, from, I'm from Princeton originally, Cody is too, and, and, and my wife and me, we moved uh, back 
uh, here to Paducah after being in Arizona for a few years. And like when we came here, I had zero, and I mean zero, intentions of staying in Paducah. In fact, just to show you the selfishness of my heart, whenever we first came here years ago, uh, we came here for an interview at a church, and I had, I had no intentions of, of staying here in Paducah. I like the culture of Arizona. I like the church culture. I like the weather, the weather right there. And, and, and my grandma lived in Princeton, and so I thought, well, I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to get a free vacation to come, and, to come and visit, you know, my grandma. And I told that, and I told that to God, and, and so he knew where we, were, <laughs> where we were going, according to me. But, but through this series of, of God-orchestrated kind of events, we, we ended up here. And it's not that I dislike Paducah or anything. We just, we loved Arizona. And, and we ended up here, and I'm not kidding you, for the first six months that I was at a church here, almost every night I would go, God, why did you send me here? <laughs> I mean, I was going, I'm, I'm a non-traditional guy in a traditional church. Like, I'm a, I'm a lot less, like, you know, polo, I'm like YOLO more than, than that. And I was like, God, I was lamenting, and I was, I was whining, and I was complaining. And I was like, God, why, why, do you, why do you got me here? I mean, it was like the book of Lamentations at my house, you know? And, and, and through that, I heard God the Holy Spirit say to me, he said a couple of things. He said, you know what? Hey, dude, you know that traditional church that you're at right now? You know what? I love her. I love that church. That's my bride. That's one thing that I heard. And in the background, I didn't know this at the time, but in the background, God was orchestrating and, and forming up to what would become Rest Church. And I'm telling you, looking back over that, I would have worked at a hundred more traditional churches just to be a small part of something like this. That was, that was the call. And so for you, I just, I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that God has the right over any area of your life? Do you believe he has the right to keep you here? Do you believe he has the right to move you somewhere else? Because he does. He does have the right. He created you. He, he, he knows what's best for you. He has the right to call and command you as he sees fit. And so tell your neighbor this morning, say, hey, this ain't about you. Tell him. Hey, the mission of God is not, it's not about you. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not about our glory. It's about God and, and his glory. And so look, 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 on a practical side, like you might be in a season right now where you feel like God's not operating inside of your five-year plan. Like you might be in a spot right now in your life, just in a season where, where um, this isn't where you wanted to be. But the question I think we need, really need to consider this morning as we think about the call of our God is, is, is this, are you where God wants you to be? Are you where God wants you to be? Because if you are here, if you are here, it must be, it must be because God wants to do a work in you and through you to tell this city, your city, about the good news of Jesus. Church, how, how will you respond to God's calling in, in, in your life? Or will you, would you run toward God or, or, or from him this morning? And so this is, a, this is a shocking call for a Hebrew prophet to go out into a Gentile city, and it's even more shocking that the God of Israel would want to warn the Ninevites, uh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, of their impending doom that was coming. And here's how Jonah responds to that call, verse three or verse two. This is Jonah's course. And it says this, "But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So we've looked at Jonah's call. This is Jonah's course. And this is really where things in the story start to kind of heat up a little bit. Because like we expect, we expect Jonah to go along like all the other prophets did. Whenever the, God would call a prophet, he would say, say something to them, and the prophet would always respond. Even if there was a little bit of argument, they would always respond with, okay, God, I'm going, I'm on my way. Here, what Jonah does, 
Cody, he pulls a Missy Elliott. He puts the thing down, flips it, and reverses it, right? And he goes the opposite direction that God told him to go. That's for all of you 90s and 2010s in here, okay? You're welcome. God calls Jonah, and I had a map. I don't know, if, well, the, can we get the map up? Is it the back screen's working? Praise God for the jumbotron. Um, check out this map. So this is, this is what happens with, with Jonah. He's here, and God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. A fi- I can't get that close. Man, that was bright. A 550-mile difference. But instead, what Jonah does is he, he decides he's going to go to Tarshish. He's going to go in the opposite direction, and Tarshish was believed to be the ends of the world, so to speak. And so Jonah's plan is to go the opposite direction. He's like, he hears this call from God. God calls him to go to the Ninevites to preach a message of rebuke and repentance to them. He goes, all right, sounds good, God, and then goes the other way, right? This is what, what Jonah does, and he's doing this, as the text said, to run from the presence of God. He's running from the presence of God. And, and what's so interesting here with that, with that runaway in this story is that when you think about Jonah, okay? Jonah, this isn't the story of the prodigal son, okay? It's not like that. Jonah is not the prodigal son. This isn't some teenager who's trying to get out of the under, under their authority of his parents and, and leaves. That's not this story. Jonah is a seasoned veteran follower of God. He's not just a man of God, he's a minister of God. He's he's had his handful already of of tough, thus saith the Lord's in in his lineup. Like this is a guy who's walked with God, who's followed God, and who's obeyed God. And now all of a sudden, Jonah says, nope, drops the stuff and goes out. When we look at that from, from, from that perspective, this tells me something about Jonah. This tells me something about me. And, 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 and just as Pastor Cody revealed with Timothy and Paul or in our series of Timothy where Paul, he was this epic leader and, and he had leadership walk away from him even though he was awesome. And so that means for you and me, we're probably going to have leaders or people in our life walk away from us too. It's just a great point. I try to bring it up as much as possible. And so similar, similar to that, what this tells me about uh, Jonah and about us is that our course of following God in our lives, you and me, we probably got some Jonah Jr. inside of us. We probably all got a little bit of that run built into us. Because, I mean, if Jonah, a man of God who's followed, who's walked with God for a long time, could all of a sudden stop, drop, and run away? That, that tells me something about your sin nature. That tells me something about my sin nature. That not only have we been born into this thing, but we willingly choose to rebel against our God who, who loves us. And so none of us, none of us are ever exempt from the run. Hear me on that. None of us are ever exempt from the run. Because inside of you, inside of me, I know there's this constant struggle to rebel against God. And and it's why we have some verses like this. I'll just roll through a couple. We have verses like this reminding us, I think, because of that Jonah Jr. Second Timothy 1, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love, of self-control. Galatians 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, stand firm. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, your heart is deceitful above all things. It's sick. Who could understand it? And lastly, Romans 7, 15. I don't understand my own actions. I don't do the things that I want to do, but instead I do the things that I don't want to do. And, and I share those verses because it's kind of a full circle. It's mind, it's body, it's soul. Like it, It's our will. It's all, all of it is affected by the fall. It all wants to rebel against God, sometimes together, sometimes in, in different spots. And this is a reality that dates back to your very first father, your very first mother in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They sinned, right? Adam and Eve, they sinned. And, 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 and the text says in Genesis 3, 8, God came along walking in the garden, and they hid from his presence in some trees. They sinned. God came looking for them. What did they do? They hid from God, and they hid from one another. 
And so I think there, there's, something, there's something just inside of us that, that, that may cause that Jonah Jr. to rise up in us. And, and, and it causes us to want to go on our own and to want to go our own course because we think it's better, because we think we, we know what is best. And, and so don't miss this here. What, what Jonah is essentially saying to God is he's going, God, hey, you can have access to all parts of my life except for this area here. It's an unholy compartmentalization that Jonah does. He says, God, you got all access everywhere but here. And we do this sometimes. We go, God, I believe your word, except for, you know, this and, and that. It's an unholy compartmentalization. And God says back to Jonah as he does to you and me, he says, no, 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 I want it all. I want it all. And church, this is this. This is the great theme of the scriptures, that, that you run away from God, and God in his grace, he pursues you. That he is committed to tracking you down, to seek you, to love you, to save you. In fact, before you ever began to pursue God, God pursued you. It, it, King David, he writes in, uh, in Psalm 139, th this is what he's talking about. When, when he writes, he says, Lord, you search me, you know me, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You know a word before I speak, before a word's on my tongue, you know it completely, oh God. You hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it's too lofty for me to attain. And then, and then King David later on, he goes on to say, hey, where could I go from your presence? Where could I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will be guiding me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He says, King David says that you knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he says, God, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Before you ever decided to pursue God, he's pursued you. He's pursued you. And this includes reconciling us to himself. 1 John 1 says, if we, if we confess with our sins that he's faithful, and he, he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come, now let us, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Church, there is no sin. Say no sin. There is no sin in your life that is, that is too big or terrible for God to handle, for God to forgive. Because listen, the magnitude of your sin, it can never minimize the effects of his grace. And so I just wonder, church, what, in, what area, in what area of your life are you running away from God this morning? For the course that he has for you. And, and like you, you probably know where to go. And you probably know what to do, but you're just not going. Can I, can I encourage you to put to death the Jonah Jr. that lives inside of you and, and, and just follow him faithfully? Instead of running away from God, we must run to God. So wrapping up here, this is the last part of verse 3. We've looked at Jonah's call. We've looked at Jonah's course. And now we're going to look at Jonah's cost. This is the second part of verse 3. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So before Jonah officially starts you know, his journey out to sea, he goes down to the coastal town of Joppa. And it says the, the coastal port of Joppa, and he, and he buys a ticket there, and it says that he boards a boat. And he's like, he's ready to get his gingerbread man on, right? He's like, I, I'm, I'm out. And instead of going to Nineveh, the place that God called him to go, he instead is going to go to Tarshish. And, and, and Jonah's disobedience, look at the text here. Jonah's disobedience is leading him down. It says it, he went down twice. And, and the writer here, what he's communicating to us that we can't see in our English is that this is the wrong path literally and also spiritually. The physical destination is also a spiritual destination of death. And, and, and just look at, look at the cost. He literally pays a cost for it. Look, it says that he bought a ticket. He paid a fare. And so there, there was a price to pay for Jonah to run away. Do you catch that? 
There is a price to pay for Jonah to run away, which is a reminder to you and to me that our sin, our rebellion, it always, 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 always has a price to it. Pastor Johan, he, he likes to say, we never sin alone, which is true. And, and, and Pastor Johan, I want to add to that just a little bit this morning and say, also, we never sin for free. Right, because when you look at it, it appears like it's on the clearance rack and it's on sale and it's not going to cost much. But when we get to checkout, there's a major price tag on that thing. That's what the illusion of sin always does. It looks like it's free, but it's always going to cost some. We never sin for free. I heard a pastor many years ago say, say this. He said, sin is going to take you further than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is this, it's this, this Chinese finger trap. And man, like just this one little line in Jonah here, look at it. He paid the fare. He paid the fare. And this is the very last thing I want to point out on this. Jonah here, he's, he's looking to run, right? He's looking to leave. He's looking to disobey God and the command on, on his life. And Jonah, he went looking and Jonah, he found. Jonah, he finds a, a, a ship, it says. And this is a reminder for you and for me that whenever we try to run away from the presence of God, there will always be a ship available to take you away. When you are trying to run away and rebel against God, there will always be a ship ready to carry you away. Because not only does the Lord Jesus provide, but our enemy also provides and so, so hear me on this, church. If you're, if you're, if you're really lonely, you know, and, and so you, you, you decide to date an unbeliever, there's going to be a ship that will get you there. If you're having some problems in your marriage this morning and, and, and you want to commit adultery, there's going to be a ship to take you there. If you're, if you're struggling in your finances right now, and you think, man, I could, just, I could just cheat my employer in this area. There will be a ship to take you there. Just as there was for Jonah. If you want to run from God, you'll always find a ship to get you there. Church, which, which ship are you looking to board this morning? Because one's a shipwreck waiting to happen. And so I just want to spur you on. Whenever, whenever you make a mistake, okay, we all make mistakes. Run to God and not away from him. Whenever you don't know where to go next and you're not sure, run to God and not away from him. In your call, in your course, run to the Father. Or it's going to cost you something. It always does.